What has happened to a nation that used to fear the Lord? To a people whose foundation was built upon God's word. We've allowed the world's opinion to chart a different way. But it's time the church of Jesus Christ should boldly stand and say, God's word will stand against the raging tide of those who criticize and work their evil plans. God's word will stand against the gates of hell with power to prevail in the hearts of men. And God's word will stand. They can take it from the courthouse walls, remove it from the schools, teach our children that we're animals, speak against the golden rule. Try and hide our Christian heritage from the public eye. But they'll never overcome God's word, no matter how they try. God's word will stand against the raging tide of those who criticize and work their evil plans. God's word will stand against the gates of hell with power to prevail in the hearts of men god's word will stand it is forever settled to evermore endure is the only way a sinner's heart could ever be made stand against the raging tide of those who criticize and work their evil plans. God's word will stand against the gates of hell with power to prevail in the hearts of men. God's word will stand. God's word will stand. God's word will stand. All right, I'm going to have them sing that again. I want to pick up right where you take that solo in the second verse. And I'm going to tell you something. I don't know about you, but if that don't fire you up, there's something wrong with you this morning. Man, I'm going to tell you what, as they used to say, your wood's all wet. And you gotta, man, well, I'll tell you what, this is, that's a powerful song. Let's listen to that again, amen? Just that spot there on. They can take it from the courthouse walls, remove it from the schools, teach our children that we're animals, speak against the golden rule. 
Try and hide our Christian heritage from the public eye. But they'll never overcome God's word, no matter how they try. God's word will stand against the raging tide of those who criticize and work their evil plans. God's word will stand against the gates of hell with power to prevail in the hearts of men god's word will stand it is forever settled to evermore endure is the only way a sinner's heart could ever be against the raging tide of those who criticize and work their evil plans god's word will stand against the gates of hell with power to prevail in the hearts of men god's word will stand god's word will stand take our Bibles and turn over to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 9. We're going to begin in verse 17. We'll read a few verses here and we're going to have the opportunity to recognize a portion of Scripture and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in a life to the point where it affected a life, it affected a family, it affected everyone around. And so Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 17. Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 17. The Bible says, And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. I mentioned that most parents understand that completely. I said that this morning and got about the same reaction. And wheresoever he taketh him, He teareth him, and he foameth, and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. He answereth him, and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him, and when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him, And he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, How long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said of a child, And oft times it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if if thou can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus saith unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. For 
We're going to note that not long after, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ would indeed heal his son. But I want to focus on that statement there as he goes back. He says, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Now, I think it's interesting before we address this man that God, the Lord Jesus Christ, addresses his disciples' lack of faith first. Notice what he says here in verse 19. The Bible says that he answered him and said, Oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? The disciples had gone and they had sought out to to do a mighty work. However, they could not accomplish this work. No matter what they did, it didn't help the young man. It couldn't help the child. So, of course, dad goes to the Lord Jesus Christ and he says, Listen, I have brought my son to your disciples and they could not heal him. I'm desperate. I'm in need and my son is in need of a healing. What can you do for me? The Lord Jesus Christ turns to his disciples and he says, boy, you fellas, he says, I don't know how long have I been with you? I mean, of all people, you've traveled with me, you've gone with me, you've ate with me, you've fellowshiped with me, you've communed with me, and yet here I find you well lacking faith in your life. Of all people, I would have thought the disciples would be strong in their faith. Of all people, I would have assumed that they would be without a doubt when it comes to Christ and His work. The Lord Jesus Christ addresses His disciples. And it wouldn't even be long that these same disciples, upon hearing the news that Jesus had risen from the dead, would be left standing with unbelief again. In Mark 16, 11, the Bible says, And they, when they heard that he was alive and had, see, and had been seen of her, believed not. Is that amazing to you? I don't know why, but that just really, uh, it, it, it confounds me to think that these men who spent time with Jesus Christ personally, who saw the miracles, who enjoyed his fellowship personally, it kind of shocks me in one sense that of all people, they struggled with unbelief. So we have a dad whose son's in a bad way. And of course, he sought the help of these disciples, but they could not help, so he reaches out to Jesus. Jesus provides the man with a recipe. He says in verse 23, he says, And Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. You need only believe. It's that simple, sir. Just simply believe. But we find, however, a man whose faith is wavering. He says, I believe. I believe. But help thou mine unbelief. I believe, Jesus, but help thou mine unbelief. A man whose faith is wavering. In the book of James, chapter 1, the Bible says in verse 6, But let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. 
A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. He says, if you're going to ask, you need to ask in faith. Nothing wavering. Let that man, don't let him think for a moment that he's going to receive if he asks with unbelief. He must believe. How essential, how necessary is faith then? How essential is our belief? So what are we to do when our faith begins to waver? What are we to do? I mean, if indeed the disciples, those that traveled with Christ, could possibly find their faith wavering. If a man here with his son in desperate need finds his faith wavering, I would have to assume then that probably you and I at some point in our life will find our faith wavering. I'd like to think that that wouldn't be the case. I'd like to believe that somehow I would stand strong, that in every situation, in every circumstance, I would always have the faith I need to make, a, make the right choices and to ultimately come out victoriously. But if the disciples, I mean those that traveled with Christ, those that literally lived with Him, those that ate with Him and fellowshiped with Him and slept with Him and ministered with Him side by side, if they could find their faith wavering, Just maybe mine could. And so what are we to do when we find our faith wavering? When it begins to waver, what are we to do? I want to give you four things that we need to do. I know there's probably many others. But for time's sake, let's just focus on four this morning. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We ask that you would speak to our hearts. We ask that you'd work in our lives today. Father, I don't know, there may be those in our midst that are finding their faith beginning to waver. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us. Speak to our heart and help us to know what to do when our faith begins to waver. Oh, God, how we need you today. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. First of all, What do we do when our faith begins to waver? Get honest. Get honest. In the book of Mark, once again, in our particular chapter, in our verses, we come face to face with a man who, of course, his faith has begun to waver. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Here's a man who certainly recognized the fact that he had a need He cries out to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's being perfectly honest. May I say that honesty is high on God's list of attributes and qualities? In the book of John, chapter 4, verse 24, the Bible says, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Honesty is high on God's priority list. In the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verse 8, the Bible says, But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Do you realize that until you get honest with God today that you can't even be saved? So what must the child of God do 
whose faith begins to waver. Number one, you have to admit it then. We've already said, and I'm talking about A under number one, really. Get honest, yes. But admit it. Admit it. God knows already. He just wants to hear you say it. Isn't it funny with our children, you know, we uh, take our kids along and, and sometimes they'll do something and they think that they've gotten over on us and we know exactly what they did. We can see that, that their conscience is eating them up. We see that conviction in their life and we sit back and just wait for them to finally admit it. We already know. But if it's going to help them, they need to admit it. Instead of going to them and approaching them, instead of saying, now, Johnny, you know what you did. No, we're waiting for them to admit it. And how important is that? But hold on a second. It's not enough to simply admit it. We need to ask for help. In the book of 1 Peter 5, verse 7, the Bible says, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. We cast our care on him because he cares for us. I mean, what do we do when our faith begins to waver? We have to get honest with God. We need to admit it. And then we need to ask for help. Hey, listen, don't just admit your shortcomings, however. Don't just say, well, of course, that's what's going on in my life. No, get help and do something about it. I have noticed through the years that people are more apt to admit spiritual failure than ever. But they are less likely to address it. The Bible says to be doers of the word, not hearers only. You know what? I'm amazed sometimes how people seem to wear this idea of admitting their guilt, their sin before others as a badge of spirituality. Oh, I'm struggling with lust in my life. Oh, I have a problem with pornography. Oh, I'm dealing with a bad tongue. I, I can't help but I can't control my tongue. I cuss and I lose my temper. And they admit all their guilts before everyone and they tell everybody and they somehow believe that that's enough. And it somehow clears their conscience. It makes them feel good about themselves. But can I tell you that means absolutely nothing to God. And it means nothing to me or anybody else that's being hurt and harmed by your actions. The fact is, is that it's not enough to admit it. You have to take action. You need to do something about it. So my question to you is this. Hey, you're dealing with pornography today. It's not enough to admit it. You've got to do something about it. What are you doing? Our faith begins to waver. It's not enough to just say, well, my faith's wavering. That's not where it ends. That's not how it ends. That's not where it stops. That's That's ridiculous. You need to ask for some help. You need to do something. You need to take some steps then. Get to God and say, oh God, my faith is wavering. I believe, but help now my unbelief. Get honest. When our faith begins to waver, that's the first thing we need to do. Number two, hurry to the house of God. Hurry to the house of God. Turn, if you would, to Psalm chapter 73, beginning in verse 1. Psalm chapter 73, beginning in verse 1. You know, we used to be embarrassed to admit our failures. I'm sorry, I'm going to go back to it. I can't get by it. 
We used to, we used to be embarrassed, ashamed to admit we failed spiritually or in some other area of our life, in an area where maybe the expectations of our parents or our pastor or possibly the Lord himself and the word of God, we were ashamed to admit those failures. Today, again, we wear them as a badge of spirituality. And then when people say, well, what have you done to change that? What, what steps have you taken to overcome that? Well, you know me, I'm just flesh. Well, aren't you the spiritual Christian? Like we didn't know already you were broken. Everybody's broken in this room. The question is, you're going to get fixed. Stop admitting your guilt and start doing something about it. Stop admitting your failure and start doing something about it. Instead of going around trying to get everybody's sympathy and everybody's accountability, why don't you just go out to God and get something straight between you and him and start living your life for God? Fix that rotten mouth. Fix that bad temper. Fix that lust issue. Deal with that pornography. Deal with it. Quit talking about it and do something about it. You say, well, I'm trusting the Lord to change my life. I can't do anything, preacher. You haven't read your Bible, have you? Can I ask you something? Who rolled the stone away from the tomb before Lazarus was resurrected? There are some things you can do. There are some things God won't even do for you because he's already empowered you and enabled you. You are indwelt with the presence of the Holy Spirit. Don't you tell me you are bound by your sin anymore. And I'm not either. And when I sin, it isn't God's fault. It's my fault. Run around like these little badges of spirituality. At least I admit my guilt, my sin, my failures, my shortcomings, Pastor. Please pray for me. Well, let me give you a couple scriptures and you apply them and you'll find you'll get victory. Psalm 73 then hurry to the house of God. Get honest. Then hurry to the house of God. Psalm chapter 73, verse 1. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I want you to go down to verse 16 and 17. Notice what he ultimately says here now. When I thought to know this, he says, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then understood I therein. The psalmist is saying, listen, I looked around me and honestly I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Here I am doing my best to live for Jesus Christ. And i got to admit, my faith is starting to waver as I see the blessings that exist in the life of the unbeliever and the blessings that exist in the backslidden Christian's life. I mean to tell you, I can't believe what's going on here. And his faith begins to waver. Oh, God's good to Israel, but to me? Oh, man, my feet well nigh slipped. For me, I'm just struggling right now. I'm having a hard time seeing God in all of this. My faith is beginning to waver. I didn't say our faith has totally fled. I didn't say it's gone for good. I'm saying that it's beginning to waver. What are we going to do about it? Got to hurry to the house of God just like the psalmist did. 
He says, man, until I went to the sanctuary of God, then understood I therein. Oh, man, I mean, as I looked at all the blessings and all the wealth and all the material gain of the wicked, it wasn't until I finally made my way into the house of God and I heard the word of God and I received the promises of God and I realized that their end is not a good end, that this is the best they're ever going to have it. And then I realized, God, you are good to me. I'm going to heaven. You know, there are various reasons why our faith may waver. In this particular case, I believe the psalmist finds himself disappointed and discouraged. And when you get disappointed and discouraged, it is easy for your faith to begin to waver. He isn't where he envisioned himself to be at this point in his life. I mean, he expected to be better off than he was. He looks around and he notes the prosperity of the wicked and he feels as though he's been let down or wounded by God somehow. He feels betrayed and misled by God even. I mean, the truth is that the psalmist is disappointed and discouraged because he had the wrong expectations. He felt that being one of God's children meant that he should be exempt from the hardships of life. He believed that God owes his children more than he owes the lost. He's adopted a spirit of entitlement that demands specific responses from God if God expects him to continue to remain faithful. Loss. Tragedy. Disappointment. Betrayal. Sickness. Trials. Persecutions. Rejection. Isolation. Loneliness the unexpected, and the list could go on and on and on and on. These are all causes why our faith can begin to waver. One place that the believer must be, needs to be, when their faith begins to waver is in the house of God. You know, sadly enough, it seems to me that in many cases, that that's about the time we begin to kind of draw back from God. I mean, that's the time when our faith begins to waver that we no longer feel like church is the answer. You don't understand, preacher. It's hard to go to God's house. I'm struggling with my faith. My faith is wavering in some degree or another. It's hard to sit and listen to the preaching now. I find myself distracted all the time. I'm sorry, but I'm just not sure where I stand on all of this anymore. That's sad, isn't it? Can I tell you that's exactly how the devil will tempt us in the time when we are Wavering, beginning to waver in our faith. See, because he knows we need the word of God. We got to hurry to the house of God. Number three, we need to hunger for the word of God. It isn't a time now to discard the Bible, a time to discard God's house or to discard God's people. No, it's time to get into it more than ever. Look at Romans chapter 10, verse 17. We've got to get honest. When our faith begins to waver, you've got to get honest. 
You got to hurry to the house of God. You got to hunger for the word of God. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You know, when you and I find ourselves in a faith crisis, we need to turn to the word of God. The Bible tells us in Psalm chapter 18, verse 30, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust in him. His word, he says, of the Lord, the word of the Lord is tried, it's proven, it's tested. And he goes on to say that he is a buckler to all that trust in him. That buckler was none other than a huge shield that a a soldier would use to protect himself from, say, the arrows that are coming toward them. You've seen the movies where everybody sets back and all the arrows go to fly and all of the, 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 the Praetorian Guard get down with their bucklers and surround themselves and the arrows are... I've often wondered, what do they do then? I mean, do you keep fighting with all those little sticks sticking out and you try to poke people's eyes out? Do you throw it on the ground and snap them off? I don't know why. I just think about those things. I know I wouldn't want them hanging out there because I'd turn around and hit one of my own guys. He's a buckler to those that trust in him. See, the word of God provides protection for us. Not only that, but the Word of God provides direction. The Bible tells us in Psalm 119, 105, the Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So it provides us this precious book in the time when our faith begins to waver. It provides us with protection. It provides us with direction. But it also provides us with perfection. Take your Bible, look over at Ephesians chapter 5, please, verse 25. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Sometimes this word is often misunderstood in the Bible. Why? Because the way it's defined is different where it's defined differently how it's being used and how it's being used in Scripture. And so sometimes we get the idea that the word perfect always means without sin completely always. Well, I want you to see what it does mean here. And it's pretty interesting because it's pretty close. (laughs) Look at this. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives. Sometimes perfect means to be mature. growing in our maturity toward perfection. But notice what it says here in the passage in Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. What we have here is a relationship, a husband-wife relationship. Christ is the head, of course, and he's the head of the church. His bride, the church, is being spoken of here. And he gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Now, I think, I don't know about you, but as I consider and look at the church, I recognize and understand from Scripture that the church is a body and that every member of the body fits together. So the church is a bunch of, of, of are, are many members, you and me, and we comprise and make up the church. 
The Bible says then that he might, he, that, that he sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it, you and I, to himself a glorious church. I understand he's talking collectively, but let me tell you, that collectiveness is still independent in you and I, and he's trying to perfect you, and he's trying to perfect me, and the fact is, as we mentioned already, is that he gave us the Holy Spirit of God to live in us, and according to 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, that which liveth in us is perfect already. We need to let the perfect man come out and live through us, not the flesh in which we live in so often. The Bible tells us that we're not to fulfill the lust of the flesh, we are to live in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And notice how this is accomplished. By the washing of water, by the Word. By the Word. You say, preacher, my faith is beginning to waver. Man, get into the Word of God. Faith does come by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And that book right there will begin to perfect you. It'll cause you to become everything God intended. It'll strengthen your faith when you need it. When Billy Sunday was converted and joined the church, a Christian man put his arm around young Sunday's shoulder and he said, William, there are three simple rules that I want to give you. And if you'll hold on to them, you'll never write backslider on your name. You'll never write backslider after your name. Never. Take 15 minutes each day to listen to God talking to you. Take 15 minutes each day to talk to God. Take 15 minutes each day to talk to others about God. Billy Sunday was deeply impressed. I mean, he was moved by what the man said to the point where he was determined to make these three rules, rules that he would live by. From that day on, he found himself with God and his word every day. Before he read a letter, before he looked at a newspaper, before he would even read a telegram, he would first go to the word of God, the Bible, and get his first impression of the day that he, might, that he might get exactly what God intended him to get. When our faith begins to waver, we need the strength that comes from the bread of life and the living water. We need the word of God. What are we to do when our faith begins to waver? Get honest. Hurry to the house of God. Hunger for the word of God. And finally, number four, hold on. Hold on. Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 14, please. Matthew chapter 14. The disciples find themselves on a tumultuous sea, and they are fearful for their very lives. As we're going to find, the Lord Jesus Christ had sent them onto this ship as he sent the multitudes away, he's put them on this ship. But now they find themselves alone in the sea. Notice what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 22. And straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. Notice verse 24. 
But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. Verse 27, but straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. Verse 30, but when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? When they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Here they are, out in the midst of the sea. I mean, Jesus Christ had put them on this boat. Sometimes if we're not careful, we can find ourselves blaming God for our problems. If only he wouldn't have placed me here. If only he wouldn't have put me in this situation. If only he would have delivered me from this circumstance. I wouldn't find myself in this tumultuous sea. I wouldn't find myself being fearful for my very life. I don't know exactly how the disciples felt at that moment, but what I do know is that they were fearful for their very existence. They were fearful for their life. They found themselves, and it sounds to me like their faith was starting, beginning, beginning to waver somewhat. Can I tell you, please just hold on a little longer, disciples. Please don't give up and quit now. Jesus is coming. I want to tell you something. In your life, you're going to find that you're going to run into some obstacles. You're going to be in the midst of those tumultuous seas. Troubles and trials will find their way into your life. But hold on. Jesus is coming. Just hold on. Don't quit now. And the fact is that, that there's coming a day when the Lord Jesus Christ is going to split the eastern sky. And not only is he going to come and protect us, and he's going to help us through our problems today, but he's coming back one day, and he's going to take us up and out of here. Don't quit now. He's coming. We find ourselves in a mess today. I mean, the world is in a tailspin, and honestly, it doesn't seem to be getting much better. So what are we to do? You know, when the disciples' hopes and dreams were dashed by the news that Jesus would go to Jerusalem to die, the Lord shared these words. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there ye may be also. He is coming again. He's coming again. R.U. Darby's uncle was smitten by gold fever. And so he went to Colorado to strike it rich. With a pick and an axe, he dug until finally he struck gold. Excited and determined to be rich, he rushed home to tell his family about his good fortune and to raise some money so that he could buy the necessary machinery in which to get the job done. Well, young Darby, 
and his uncle went in together. And they purchased the needed equipment and they returned to the mine. It wasn't long after that they were drilling and pulling up gold. But it was short-lived. The vein of gold that they had mined dried up and it just seemed to totally disappear. Desperately, they continued digging, attempting to pick up the vein again, but to no avail. The uncle was so overwhelmed with frustration, so disappointed, so discouraged that he gave up and he quit working the claim. So discouraged and so defeated that they even sold the mine and the equipment to a junk dealer for just a few hundred dollars. They took the next train headed east. After purchasing the equipment, the junk dealer thought all about, about, about all that gold that had once came out of that mine. And he said to himself, he said, you know, all the equipment is here anyway, and who knows, maybe I might strike it rich. So he began to dig. And just three feet later, he hit one of the greatest gold veins the nation has ever seen. Young Darby eventually recovered from his losses. But he never forgot about the huge fortune that he and his uncle had missed out on simply because they gave up too soon. Darby would become an insurance salesman and he would never forget the lesson that he had learned. He was determined that he would never stop digging three feet from gold. He eventually became one of the most successful insurance salesmen of his day. He would earn over a million dollars every year in an era when that was just simply unheard of. He did it because he knew what it took to be successful. And he was determined to never stop digging three feet from gold. Is your faith beginning to waver this morning? I wonder, can you point to the reason why? I mean, can you put your finger on it? Is it an event? Is it a circumstance? Is it a situation? What is it? Jesus Christ is coming. Don't quit now. Like the man in his trouble, along with his son, Jesus met their need. Like the disciples on the tumultuous sea, Jesus is on his way. Just hold on for another hour. Just hold on for another day. You're likely just three feet from gold. What are we to do when our faith begins to waver? Get honest. Admit it and then ask for help. So get honest. Number two, hurry to the house of God. Three, hunger for the word of God. And four, hold on. Don't give up and quit now. Maybe today you've never received and accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You can't say 100% for sure that heaven's your home. I can guarantee you this, whether you believe it or not, it's true. You can know. 
These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. The Bible says in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. You simply need to put your belief, your faith in Jesus Christ. And today you say, I, I know, but I believe. I believe, but help thou mine unbelief. You come to Jesus Christ and he will. Like that man, you just need to hold on. You need to come to Jesus. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name. You come, he'll save you, forgive you. He'll give you eternal life. But you have to trust him and only him. It's not enough that you were raised in a good home. It's not enough that you read your Bible and pray. It is not enough that you attend church. It's not enough that you do good things for people. That will not merit you favor in God's eyes. He is holy. He is perfect. He is sinless. And we are simply mere sinners in our flesh, in ourself. We need Jesus Christ and his perfect sacrifice to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Child of God, is your faith beginning to waver? Hold on. Maybe you need to come to an altar today and say, Lord, when you allowed this in my life, it shook me. When you permitted that in my life, it unsettled me. I believe, but help thou mine unbelief. Get honest. Hurry to the house of God. Hunger for the word of God and hold on. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time we've had together. We ask, Lord, you'd speak to us, that you'd work in our lives today. We desperately need you. There may be those that are without Christ today in this crowd. There may be those that need to receive and accept him. May they not leave before they are 100% sure that heaven's their home and that you are their savior. For the believer today, Lord, may we be sensitive. May we recognize that we are beginning to waver maybe. And may we, before it turns into an all-out departure, may we begin now to correct it, to settle it, and to deal with it. Help us. And Lord, if anyone, if anyone's faith is beginning to waver, may they simply come to you and seek your help. Lord, we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet, every head bowed, every eye closed. I don't know, preacher.